0: So over the last week in my personal Bible study time, I've been studying James chapter four, verses seven through 10, James chapter four, verses seven through 10. And that's what I want to dig into with you guys for this episode. If I had to sum up the main point of this particular passage, I would say it's a description of what it really looks like for a man to leave sin for God, to leave sin for God. So here we go. Down, all my brothers from other mothers. Thanks for tuning in, listening to the Grizz Podcast. Today is Tuesday, August twenty second, twenty twenty three, and I'm your host, Jason George, coming at you from the hot and humid Low Country, South Carolina. Man, guys, I have been pretty sick lately. Felt it coming on about two weeks ago. I was having some old symptoms flare up with my Lyme disease. And I also battle another tick infection called Babesia. But felt it coming on. Was hoping it wouldn't be anything big. But it is big. I've been out of it for a week now. Really horrible head pressure. Uh, Advil won't touch it. Tylenol won't touch it. I even tried a new prescription med that my doc gave me that helps with head pressure for those in high altitudes like mountain climbers you know it didn't touch it either (laughs) the only thing that really helps is i go lay down in a dark room ice pack over my head my face that helps some sleep also helps big time and uh just other things going on with my body when i flare up man like I'll give you a glimpse. I I get like muscle twitches all throughout my body. Looks like I got MS or something. This cough, sore throat kind of feeling. A lot of pain. Get fatigue, Dude, the fatigue is insane. It's like hard to even think sometimes. I get really bad brain fog with the fatigue, the head pressure. Difficult to articulate clearly. Tripping over my words. Just can't remember some of the simplest things. It's weird, like affects my memory when I get like that. So I also get this weird type of anxiety feeling where my body tenses up, just doesn't want to relax. It's all very much biological. It's related to what my body is fighting with Lyme, Babesia, other junk. It's happened to me many times. I'm sure it'll happen many times more. It'll calm down eventually. Uh, I better know how to handle it and what to take and do to reduce the symptoms. And sometimes you just got to be miserable. You know, like the Navy SEALs say, sometimes you just got to embrace the suck. And I'll literally just lay there with pain and just got to have that warrior mindset. Like, bring it, okay? Like, is this this the best you got? (laughs) Come on. And I'll sit there and I'll pray and I'll sing some hymns. Uh, One of the worst things you can do in times like that is feel sorry for yourself, wallow, self-pity, complain, you know, fret over it. Uh, So I'll try to even put my mind on heaven, you know, how good heaven is going to be, and just remind myself that this life here on earth, this is the only hell I'll ever know because of my faith in Christ. And it also helped just to reach out to two friends who battle Lyme disease as well. I just texted with them a little bit. It's always helpful to talk to others who go through the same kind of junk that you're going through, whether it's with physical health or mental health or marriage issues, parenting issues, sin struggles, whatever. It's just always good to talk with those who are going through the same junk that you're going through. Anyway, I say all of that to just ask you guys to be praying for me because it has been um, just an intense fight, man. It's it's difficult. It is, um, sometimes I call it my thorn in the flesh like Paul talked about, but this past two weeks it hasn't felt like a thorn in my flesh. It feels like somebody uh, stuck a sword in my chest, you know, or in my head actually because <laughs> my head is hurting so bad. It does not feel like a little thorn in my flesh. So appreciate prayer. And I realize, man, we're all going through something, right? There's something. There's something in our life that we wish wasn't there. My brothers, welcome to the planet. Jesus said that in this world, you will have troubles, you will have trials, tribulations, there will be pain and suffering, there will be loss, there will be tragedy. But he says, take heart for I've overcome this world and we are in Christ and Christ is in us and we know what is coming for us one day. So keep looking up my brothers. That's what I'm trying to do. And uh, I hope that me fighting through encourages you to fight through whatever you're going through. Anyway, let's go ahead and rip into the meat of this week's episode. James chapter four is where we're going to be. James chapter four, verses seven through 10. And we will get back to our series on effective strategies to fight lust. Uh, I've got a lot going on, guys. I'm working with uh, some guys one-on-one with coaching, helping them through all sorts of issues. And also uh, working with the guys on our climb teams. Um, And then I just began a class for grad school. And so I'm trying to manage that. It's online. And I'm new to that. And so there's a lot for me to figure out, and I'm also trying to understand like with the writing portions of the class, like how to do all the formatting properly. So, a lot going on, and then again my health issues are hitting. But I refuse to uh, neglect the Grizz podcast. Uh, I think it's really important to be dropping an episode at least one a week. I know a lot of you guys look forward to that. Really helps you out. And so I want to keep doing that. Anyway, James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Let me grab my Bible right here. I'm going to read the passage to you. And then I'm going to share with you just my notes on this passage. Literally, my notes, my journal right here in front of me, like what I wrote out by hand. Uh, Just learning about this passage and my, my thoughts on this passage and what it means and what we need to do in light of it. So it says this, be subject, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded, be miserable and mourn and cry. Let your laughter be turned in the morning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. There are seven commands here in this section of scripture that I just read to you guys. Seven commands. And the first command that we see here is it says, be subject, therefore to. To God, Be subject, therefore, to God. Meaning, be ruled by God as a slave is to his master. Be ruled by God as a slave is to his master. Come under the sovereign authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be subject, therefore, to God. Make him Lord over your life. And that means you do what he commands you to do. You don't just call him Lord, you do what he commands you to do. The teaching that says you can trust Christ as Savior and be saved without submitting to him as Lord, that's false teaching. That's unbiblical. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, if you're in Christ, then you're not in charge anymore. He is. Even your body and your private parts now belong to him because your body is God's temple. He purchased you with the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Be subject, therefore, to God. All of you needs to be under his rule. C.S. Lewis wrote, He cannot bless us unless he has us. When we try to keep within us an area that is our own, we try to keep an area of death. The second command in this passage is resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Greek word for resist is the word anthesetmi anthesetomi meaning to stand against or oppose. Stand against the devil, oppose the devil. You can't have one foot in with the devil's ways and one foot in with God's ways. Those who do that, those quote unquote Christians who do that, are spineless evangelic fish. That's all they are. And if you live like that, you know, you will always be uncertain of your salvation. When you just have one foot in with God and one foot still in with the devil's ways, you're never going to be sure of your salvation. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stand against him. Oppose him. You must choose your side. You can't have both. To be half in with the devil and not standing against him is really to be at enmity with God. James 4, 4 says, You adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is hostility or enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. So my brothers resist the devil, oppose him. And how do you do that? With the armor of God described in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, talking about the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness which has to do with integrity and remember integrity is i love c.s lewis's definition integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching have your feet shod with the gospel of peace take the shield of faith take the helmet of salvation take the sword of the spirit and pray at all times how do you resist the devil How do you oppose Him? How do you stand against Him? You put on the armor of God every single day. Command number three in this passage says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. This has to do with intimate fellowship with God. And we do this through Reading the Bible every day, studying the Bible, meditating on who God is and what he's done, what he is doing, what he will do in the future. We draw near to God by praying, humbling ourselves, confessing our sins, turning from our sins and turning to him. You tell him, Lord, I want to be in close relationship with you. I want to walk with you. Enjoy you. This needs to be genuine when you tell God that. Not some superficial, showy, fakey spirituality. That's not what we're after. We want a genuine closeness with God. We don't want the fake spirituality. The showy, fake, half-hearted, hypocritical junk. Isaiah the prophet talked about this, Isaiah 29 13. He says, This people, they draw near me with their words, they honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. In other words, Isaiah is saying it wasn't the real deal, they weren't really drawing close to God. They didn't really care about drawing near to God. Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord promised, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. I'm a father and I have three kids. My kids are young adults, one in grad school, one finishing up as undergrad. One's a senior in high school. And, you know, I want my kids to want to spend time with me, to want to know me and be close to me. Don't just use me to get what you want. You know, a good relationship takes effort from both people involved. That's how it is. So like the other day, my son texted me. He tried to call me and I actually and I couldn't take the call. I was in the middle of something, but I texted him uh, from the meeting I was at. I said, is everything okay? I saw that you called. And he texted back and he said, yeah, dad, Uh, just wanted to see how you're doing. Now, listen, dude, that means the world to me, you know, because a lot of times when my kids call or my kids text, it's they want something. They need money, (laughs) you know. They need a flight home, something like that. But man, he just wants to see how I'm doing. He just wants to talk to his dad. That's awesome. Do you just want to be close to God, to your heavenly father? Do you just want to like talk with him, enjoy him, get to know him? He says, draw near to me. And I'll draw near to you. The fourth command in this passage is cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. This implies that the person's behaviors, outward behaviors. See, it says cleanse your hands, you sinners. This implies that the person's outward behaviors are sinful, making them dirty before God. And in need of cleansing, the sinner must come to God for cleansing of his sinful behavior. Only the shed blood of Christ can cleanse a sinner's dirty deeds. A sinner must come by faith and call on the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. You need to beg God for mercy, grace, forgiveness, cleansing, of your sinful deeds. The Lord said this to his people in the book of Isaiah chapter one, verses 15 and 16. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes. Even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered in blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Did you see why God said he would not listen to their prayers? Because their deeds were evil. Their outward behaviors were unclean. They had not been cleansed yet. What God is telling his people is to not just admit their dirty sinful deeds but to also repent of them to repent means to turn away to separate yourself from the sinful behaviors that you've been involved in so many guys um, confuse confession with repentance just because you confessed your sins to god or maybe to a brother in christ an accountability group you didn't repent yet It is necessary. It is important to confess. But man, repenting means to turn away, to separate yourself from the sinful behaviors, to get the heck away from it and get it the heck away from you. And that's what God expects. God wants more than mere confession, more than just admitting that you've sinned. You want to know who gets cleansed, cleaned? washed and then goes right back to swimming in dirty filth you want to know who does that a pig a pig it's exactly what second 2 peter two twenty two 22 speaks about listen to the message paraphrase of that scripture second 2 peter two twenty two. it's so good if they escaped from the slum of sin by experiencing our master and savior jesus christ and then slid back into that same old life again, they're worse than if they had never left. Better not to have started out on the straight road to God than to start out and then turn back, repudiating the experience and the holy command. They prove the point of the Proverbs. A dog goes back to its own vomit, and a scrubbed-up pig heads for the mud listen to me my brothers you don't come to the lord jesus christ for cleansing with no intent and effort of turning from your sinful behavior you don't do that oh lord i'm coming to you for cleansing and forgiveness but i have no intent and i'm uh, of of leaving my old sinful behavior. You don't do that. That's not the mark of a true believer. That's the mark of a, a pig. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, is what it says. It means turn away from your old sinful behaviors and turn to God's way of doing life. True believers in Christ are new creations in Christ. Old sinful ways pass away and behold, new ways of doing life take root. That's the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. You don't get God's cleansing and go back to things like porn, sex with your girlfriend, which is fornication, adultery, strip clubs erotic massage places you don't go back to drunkenness getting high stealing violence vandalism you don't go back to abusing others you turn away from all of those sinful deeds that old life is done it's over you need to to divorce it cleanse your hands you sinners if you claim to be a christian man and you're not fighting against sin, and you just keep going back to it like it's no big deal, listen to me. You better wake up soon. I'm actually afraid for your future, if that's what you're doing. I'm afraid for your soul. True saving faith, listen to me, guys, is a repentant faith. And a repentant faith is a fighting faith. It's a man who's made war on his sin. Some of you listening to me, you're not a fighting saint. You're a lazy pig who loves laying in your filthy puddle of sinful mud. Judgment is coming. You better wake up before it's too late. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And then command number five, he goes even deeper, man. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This implies that a person needs much more than a behavior change. A person needs more than clean hands. They especially need a deep heart purification. And Psalm 24 verses 3 and 4, David asked this question, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. Also made me think of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, where he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, A man must not only turn from his sinful behaviors, but even more important, he must turn from the sin in his heart. The sins of the heart and mind are the root problem from where all sinful behaviors come from. In Matthew 5.19, Jesus made this very clear when he said, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, slanders. Guys, we need much more than mere behavior change, much more than an outward repentance. We also desperately need a heart change. We need our hearts purified. And God begins this purification of our heart at salvation, when we place our heart faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this process of purifying our heart and mind continues throughout our Christian lives, and we must have an active part in it. We must have an active part in it. Sanctification is a tag team effort between us and God. The command is purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want to talk about that for a minute. What does it mean when he says you double-minded? It is specifically speaking to the hypocrite, to the two-faced man who claims to be something or someone that he really is not. He lacks genuine integrity behind the scenes. Again, I love C.S. Lewis, uh, his definition of integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. So when it says, purify your hearts, you double-minded, this is a man that when no one is watching, he's not doing the right thing. He's double-minded. The man who actually, when no one is watching, does the right thing, does the pure thing, the honest thing. He's a man of character. That's a man with a pure heart, man. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen to me, my brothers. News flash for you. Even when no one is watching, just know someone is always watching. God is omnipresent and God is omniscient. That means that he is everywhere at once. There's nowhere you can go to escape God. He is omnipresent. And God is also omniscient. He sees everything. He knows everything, even the thoughts and desires of your heart and your mind. You also need to know, listen to me, that in the invisible, unseen, spiritual realm that's all around us, Angels and demons are also watching you. They see what you do in secret. They see if you're the real deal or if you're just a big two-faced hypocrite. You don't fool them, man. If you're a hypocrite, you're a joke to them, to the demons. You're a joke to them. They laugh at you. They don't fear you. You're no threat to their kingdom. They fear the man who cleanses his hands and purifies his heart. That's who they fear. That man is a mighty weapon in the hand of God. That man is a mighty weapon in the hand of God. The man who cleanses his hands and purifies his heart. This reminds me of uh, a recent quote i came across by the old scottish preacher robert murray machine and he wrote this in a letter to another pastor this is so good listen to what he wrote remember you are god's sword his instrument a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name in great measure according to the purity and perfections of the instrument will be the success It is not great talents, God blesses so much, as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. That's what you can be, my brothers. That's what you should be. You should be an awful, or what he means by that translation is a mighty weapon. That's what you can be, and that's what you should be, my brothers. A mighty weapon in the hand of God. And how can you be that? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Command number six in this passage. He says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning morning." And your joy to gloom. That's powerful, man. This is going to hit home for a lot of you. This has to do with being truly broken and sorrowful over your sins. Because you know that you have sinned against a holy God. And you fear his righteous judgment. I see guys who profess to be Christians sin like it's no big deal. It doesn't deeply bother them. They sin and then a few hours later, they're joking around with friends, playing video games, going to concerts, playing around to golf. Some even go right back a few hours later, do some more sin. These kind of guys scare me. I fear for them. They're not truly broken and sorrowful over their sins. They don't fear God's righteous judgment. If they truly are believers, then they don't fear God's chastening that will surely come as Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. Are you not familiar with that passage? Let me make sure I'm... I'm saying this right. I fear for these guys. Listen, these guys scare me. Because they're not truly broken and sorrowful over their sins. They don't fear God's righteous judgment. God is going to judge. And listen, if they really are true believers, they may not have the great white throne judgment coming for them. They may not have the judgment of hell coming for them. But listen, It blows my mind that they don't fear God's chastening that will surely come, as Hebrews 12 talks about, where it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It goes on to say, For they, talking about our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our benefit so that we may share his holiness. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you not fear God's judgment if you're an unbeliever? If you're an unbeliever, do you not fear God's judgment? If you don't, you're a fool. You are an absolute fool. If you are a believer... Do you not fear God's discipline upon your Christian life? If you don't, you're a fool too. Do you not realize that God can bring great misery, pain, tragedy to your life to wake you up, to turn you from your sin and to turn you back to him, to purge and to uh, purify you? Guys, I've lived it in my own life. And I've watched it happen to Christian men who treated their sin so casually, so flippantly. They didn't mourn and weep over their sin. They weren't miserable over their sin. Their laughter never turned into mourning. Their joy never turned to gloom over their sin. There was no godly sorrow that led them to repentance, like 2 Corinthians 7.10 talks about. I have seen God do painful things to try and wake guys up. Sickness, injuries, car accidents, loss of job, out of nowhere financial problems spouse becomes sick or injured a tragedy with one of their children all of a sudden hit with severe anxiety depression panic i have seen god do all sorts of things to chasten discipline flog one of his adopted sons a christian man why to try to purge and purify. Some may say, Oh, those things were, you know, all those things are just a coincidence. Were they? Or was God trying to wake you up before it's too late? Was God trying to wake you up before it's too late? What else does he have to do to get your attention and wake you up? What else does he have to do to purge and purify you? Was it just a coincidence when Jonah disobeyed the Lord and he got on that ship and he he, he didn't go to Nineveh like he was supposed to? He tried to go to Tarsus. And what did God bring? A major storm. A storm that they thought meant... This is going to kill us. We're going to die here. Was that was just a coincidence, huh? No, it was God trying to purge, purify and correct a wayward son, Jonah. And when they threw him overboard, the storm calmed down. And you know the story. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And then Jonah decided, okay. I'm going to do what God has told me to do. You know, after Peter denied Christ three times, he went and wept over his sin. He was broken and sorrowful over it. After King David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had her husband killed in an attempt to cover up his sexual sin, he was confronted over his sin by Nathan, God's prophet. And when he was confronted by Nathan, that's when it finally broke David. But man, it took a while. Nathan, man, Nathan floored him regarding his sin and God's judgment. Let me pull that passage up. Second Samuel twelve, seven through 23 is the big confrontation. Nathan coming to uh, David and confronting him over his sin. I'm turning there right now. Second Samuel twelve. Wait, that's wrong. I'm in second here. It is 2nd Samuel 12, 7 through 23. I want to read this to you. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of Yahweh by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. So now the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives from before your sight and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in the sight of this son." Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahweh. And Nathan said to David, Yahweh also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of Yahweh to blaspheme, the son also that is born to you shall surely die. And Nathan went back to his house. Then Yahweh smote the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, so that he was very sick. David therefore sought God about the boy, and David fasted, and went and spent the night lying on the ground. And the elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground. But he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said behold while the child was still alive we spoke to him and he did not listen to our voice how then can we tell him that the child has died he might do himself harm and David saw that his servants were whispering together so David discerned that the child had died so David said to his servants has the child died and they said he has died so David arose from the ground washed his and washed anointed himself and changed his clothes And he came into the house of Yahweh and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and he asked, and they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive you fasted and wept, but when the child died you arose and ate food. Then he said, While the child was still alive I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows, Yahweh may be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring, bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. We'll stop right there. David was a broken man over his sin after Nathan floored him with that confrontation. After Nathan floored him with the consequences that God was going to bring Upon his life for his sin. And and David didn't get what he truly deserved. What the law says that he deserved was death. He could have been killed, stoned. And it would have been justified. It would have been biblical. But God said, no, I'm going to spare your life. I'm going to let you live. I'm going to show you mercy and grace. But there's going to be consequences. But David was truly broken, sorrowful, over His sin, guys. This command in James 4 be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Dude, that ended up happening to David. Let me read to you Psalm 38, which describes David broken and hurting over his sin. Psalm 38 verses 1 through 10, and then I want you to see verses 17 through 22. O Yahweh, reprove me not in your wrath, and discipline me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have pressed deep into me, and your hand has pressed down upon me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquity goes over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds stink and rot because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. For my loins are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am faint and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you. And my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength forsakes me. And the light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. This is a man broken over his sin. He is miserable. It is affecting him physically. His laughter has been turned into mourning and his joy has been turned into gloom. Listen to the rest of the passage, starting at verse 17. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and strong, and those who wrongfully hate me abound, and those who repay evil for good. They accuse me, for I pursue what is good. Do not forsake me, O Yahweh, O my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Broken, miserable over his sin. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Jesus warned in Luke six twenty five, Woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep when it comes to your sin. My brothers pray for God to grant you the gift of godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Pray that your sin would make you miserable and make you mourn and weep that it would turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And the last command here in this passage to wrap it up. Says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Humility is a necessary foundation for a man to be saved. You come to the holy, sovereign, ruler of the universe, Yahweh. You come as a wretched sinner. You humble yourself before him because you see him as he is and you see yourself for who you are. Just like that time when Peter was with the Lord after he miraculously burst their nets with fish. In Luke chapter 5 verse 8, Peter humbled himself before the Lord and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Humility matters. Second Chronicles 7.14, God says to his people, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Jesus said in Matthew 23.12, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You know, a perfect example of this is the story Jesus told of the prodigal son who was cocky, arrogant, prideful, selfish, foolish, and he went and he took all of his inheritance that his father gave to him and he blew all of it. The Bible says he lived recklessly with it and then a severe famine occurred in the country where he was. And he was alone. He was left with nothing because he blew it all. So he went and got a job at a farm feeding pigs. And it says he desired to be fed with the slop that he was feeding the pigs because no one gave him anything to eat. But one day he came to his senses. He had a realization that even his father's paid servants have more than enough food to eat while he was there feeding pigs, dying of hunger and wanting to eat their slop. So he went back home to his father and he humbled himself and he told himself that he would say to his father, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me as one of your paid servants that's what he said that you know he was going to say to his father but as he got closer to his father's home his father saw him a long way off and it says his father felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son said to the father Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let us eat and celebrate. We're having prime rib tonight. For this son of mine was dead. And has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. That right there is the beauty of the gospel, my brothers. That's the beauty of the gospel. You humble yourself before your God. And you come home. You humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And he will exalt you. My brothers, all of this that I've explained is how you leave sin for God. Leave sin for God. I know it's humbling. I know it's hard, but it's worth it. It's the truly manly thing to do to leave sin for God. You're going against the grain when you do that, you're swimming upstream when you do that. You're being a revolutionary. When you do that, stay tuned for a few closing items of Grizz Biz. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you find this content helpful, please leave us a quick rating and review wherever you listen to the greatest podcast. And if you're a regular listener, then want to ask you, please consider becoming a monthly contributor to the show. The greatest podcast is an outreach of narrow trail ministries incorporated. And as a faith based nonprofit ministry, we fully rely upon God's provision through his people. You can go to our website to make a one-time donation. uh, or to set up becoming a monthly supporter for as little as $10 or $20 per month. Go to narrowtrail.com, click on our Give page, or you can take your phone right now, simply text the word GIVE, GIVE to 301-888-6860, 301-888-6860. It's quick, it's easy to set up. I promise it's also safe and secure. Thank you to all of you who uh, do give monthly to help make our ministry happen. If you're interested in doing some one-on-one coaching with the Grizz, there's a short online application at our website. It'll tell you all about that, how I do coaching. Go to narrowtrail.com, click on the coaching page. If you're interested in being part of one of our online support accountability groups for Christian men who struggle with porn or some other unwanted sexual behavior, then go to our website, narrowtrail.com, fill out the short online application for our CLIMB teams. I lead all of them. We do have some spots available, but they're filling up. If you'd like to connect with me, introduce yourself. My email is Jason at NarrowTrail.com, Jason at narrow I love hearing from our listeners. Also, sign up for Covenant Eyes Internet Accountability. Get it on all of your devices to protect, protect yourself, protect your kids, protect your teens. You need to be accountable, my brothers, with all of your online activity. Go to CovenantEyes.com to sign up. And when you're at checkout, use the promo code GRIZN, Grizzin, G R I Z Z I N G-R-I-Z-Z-I-N, grizzin You're going to get your first month completely free. That's it for now, my brothers. Thanks for listening. Take what you've heard. Go apply it to your life. And also, share it with a friend. Share it with a men's group who needs it. Share it with a teen guy in your youth ministry. I'll be back at you soon with another epic episode of the Grizz Podcast. Until then, honor God, live manly.